Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has experienced teams who can craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex. Real wealth requires real solutions. Connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's Coriant.com. From the Financial Times, this is Hard Currency. So that's the end of the first quarter. Are we glad to see the back of it? Or was it not as bad as it once seemed? I'm Roger Blitz and welcome to Hard Currency, bringing you the weekly podcast of the Financial Times on the FX market. It was a fluctuating quarter for some, particularly the dollar and sterling, one of unremitting and perhaps unwanted strength for others. I'm talking about the yen and the euro and the promise of renaissance recovery, in other words, for several emerging market currencies. Will the second quarter see a continuation of all of the above or new twists and turns in the FX world? Well, with me to discuss these issues is Stephen Barrow, the FX G10 strategist at Standard Bank. Steve, let's first of all look at the drivers of the first quarter in FX. I'm thinking about China, oil, the Fed's dovish streak, the Brexit fears, negative interest rates in Japan. What do you make of these drivers and and which are going to be around, hanging around for still some time? Probably the easiest one to explain is the weakness in sterling. Concerns about uh, Brexit, those were really highlighted, obviously, during the process of the negotiation between the UK and the EU, and then obviously the subsequent naming of the the date for the referendum, which, as we know, is the 23rd of June, and therefore we know that this is going to be a constant mm. issue as we go through the second quarter as well. So that driver is, is not going to change. By the end of the second quarter, I dare say sterling will be probably quite far different from where it is right now, but the question is obviously in which direction as a result of how that vote will go. As far as the other drivers are concerned, I mean, I think with respect to the weakness in the in the dollar that has become perhaps more marked as we've moved through the quarter, you know, I see this as largely, uh, you know, what might be called a sort of buy the rumour, sell the fact uh, response yes. to the Federal Reserve. Our views before the Fed even lifted a finger and raised interest rates back in December last year was that we would see buy the rumour, sell the facts reaction in the dollar because we'd seen them in other tightening cycles that the Fed has done before. The Fed raises interest rates and rather than the dollar going up, it tends to go down at least for a brief period of time. That's what we've seen before and that's what we, we saw again or have seen again in this cycle during the first quarter. The question obviously as we go into the second quarter is whether this is the start of a trend or a counter trend decline in the dollar. And I think it's a counter trend decline. And um, the other areas, so we're talking about China and oil. I mean, are they all interrelated? Is, is uh, dovish Fed encouraging a rebound in commodity prices? And is China's relative becalmed yuan currency helping that along? Yes, I think it is. And I think, you know, another probably key driver or key development during the first quarter was not just the way in which uh, particularly a lot of emerging market currencies had weakened against the dollar, but was also the fact that many of them have weakened to what people would call perhaps very undervalued levels Mm -hmm. in, in some of the you know, the real, perhaps the ruble, South African rand, Turkish lira, other currencies. And so I think that there's been 
I wouldn't say necessarily a strong appetite, but there's been certainly some appetite to behalf of investors to pick up currencies at relatively cheap levels. And then obviously, as oil prices have recovered, as, as you mentioned, the Chinese situation has perhaps stabilised somewhat, that's only encouraged these flows. And again, that's something that's obviously perhaps accelerated to some extent as we've gone through the latter stages of the first quarter. And that may well prove a trend that perhaps is a little bit more enduring as we go through into the second quarter, because a number of emerging market currencies have rebounded to some considerable extent, but many of them probably are still very undervalued. And amongst the the big gainers of the year, you talked about EM, but we also saw the yen, which is up around 7% in the first quarter, and the euro. Are those going to continue in that vein? Is it very much dollar dependent? You know, I see risks probably to both the, the yen and the euro going forward. So I don't think that the improvements that we've seen in, in the first quarter are necessarily durable. As far as the euro is concerned, we still have a problem of negative inflation, as we saw uh, again today with uh, inflation being below zero, minus 0.1%. The ECB still has quite significant easing to come down the slipway, and I think it probably will have to ease even further as we go through the year. So I think that's still quite a significant headwind for the euro. As far as the yen is concerned, that may be somewhat more difficult. I think it's, you know, it's essentially what we have in, in Japan, in, in a sense, is, is a sort of race between the trade and current account surpluses that, that remain reasonably healthy. But on the other side, uh, negative rates, as the Japanese officials, Bank of Japan, try to encourage investors to push money offshore. And if you look at the recent data, weekly data, for instance, on capital outflows from Japan into foreign bond markets, they have been really very aggressive indeed and may well pick up as we go into the second quarter, which is, of course, the start of the financial year in Japan. So I suspect that dollar yen will not continue to go down. I don't see levels below 110. I think we'll go up into a 115, 120 range as we go through the rest of the year. More problems for uh, Prime Minister Abe then. Slightly related to that, but China, which has had a very quiet last month or so compared to the noise at the start of the year. And we had some interesting foreign debt data out, which suggests that this calm Remnimbi is giving a chance to for some of those companies to pay off that debt. What's the second quarter going to look like for, for China and the Remnimbi? I think there's, you know, there's been this debate in China with respect to sort of financial flows as to whether companies and individuals just want to get money out of China in whatever way they can, as fast as they can, a sort of capital outflow, capital flight sort of story. That's the one story which perhaps would suggest, um, if you believe that, more negative outlook for the rest of you know, the second quarter and for the rest of the year. I don't take that view. I think the capital outflows have been more to do with firms trying to pay down particularly dollar-denominated debt. We saw confirmed quarter two current account data, for in, uh, sorry, quarter four current account data, which showed that foreign debt, particularly short-term foreign debt, is declining. And I think that's a, quite a good sign. I mean, I, I think over time that the renminbi will still weaken to some extent against the dollar. I don't think generally the dollar is finished. So I think there will be some upward pressure for the dollar against other currencies, including the Renminbi. Not this quarter. Well, I I think it will be uh, fairly modest as far as the quarter is concerned. I think as far as the year as a whole is concerned, then maybe we could see a a seven handle on dollar Renminbi before the end of the year. But I don't think we'll see it before the end of the second quarter. But the dollar and the Fed, in terms of their outlook for rates, do you think that Yellen has probably got it where she needs to have it? 
are you fairly hawkish or dovish in terms of what the US data is saying? And after all, we have some important uh, payrolls numbers out on Friday. Maybe in some senses a little bit unnerved because you know, I think we have seen in previous cycles perhaps the Fed get behind the game a little bit. Mm-hmm. And I do think that's a bit of a risk going forward. I can understand you know, Yellen's speech from earlier in the week about kind of, in a sense, using the market to be, as she called it, an automatic stabiliser. Mm. I, I can understand you know, some of those arguments, but at the same time, financial markets are very fickle things. <laughs> and, and sometimes when you want them to do things, Perhaps the Fed might have wanted bond yields to fall in the, you know, recently because the, the international environment has been a little bit weaker. But sometimes when you want things to happen, it, they don't always work the way you want. And then that's sometimes how a Federal Reserve or any central bank, for that matter, can get tripped up. So I'm a little bit wary if the Fed starts to, in a sense, put a little bit too much emphasis on, on the, market. the markets yes. to sort of do its work for it, in a sense. And that is possibly one of the reasons why I'm a little bit more, if you like, you say hawkish, dovish, I'm probably more hawkish on the dollar than dovish, just on the basis that there may be a slight sense of catch up from the Fed as we, maybe not in the second quarter, but as we go through the year, I think that sense of catch up may just creep into the markets a little bit more. And what it will mean is that that dollar downtrend that we've seen in the first quarter, as I said before, is is probably not going to be indicative of what necessarily happens through the rest of the year. You talk about market sensitivity and we started talking about Brexit and sterling, which we clearly can see in the second quarter going to be a pretty dominant theme. We had some uh, pretty dire current account deficit numbers out, which is key to the whole Brexit argument. Just give me a sense whether you feel whatever the polls say about the outcome, just simply as the date comes ever closer, how market nerves are going to play this and how sterling is going to look as the weeks tick down to June 23rd? I think you've already had some good indications of how nervous the market will be as you see the options market tick over the sort of date at which the referendum will occur. So that referendum 23rd of June. So as we've passed through the 23rd of March, we know that the three-month volatility has moved up really very dramatically indeed as the markets anticipated that 23rd of June is going to be or 24th of June is going to be a very volatile time as indeed uh, we would expect it uh, it would be. I'm not sure that necessarily implies that the spot rate euro sterling is going to move dramatically higher or sterling dollar is going to move dramatically lower unless perhaps the polls shift very substantially and I don't think personally that the polls will shift very significantly With the Scottish referendum, which we had in September 2014, we did see a marked shift after the first television debate because the sort of campaign to keep Scotland in didn't do very well in that first uh, television broadcast and the polls moved quite substantially. But I'm not sure what's going to happen with respect to this particular, uh, you know, the Brexit issue, whether there'll be television debates and whether those will shift the polls. Assuming that the polls don't shift substantially, I expect that sterling will be probably quite stable in the run up to weaker to. So the first quarter weakness will continue in the second quarter. I don't think it'll be a substantial, but I think it will continue. And then with respect to the outcome, I think the UK will probably vote to stay in. But at the same time, the risks obviously on the sterling movement would seem to be very asymmetric. I would say a you know 15 to 20% slide in sterling dollar this is if the UK votes to leave and the upside for sterling is probably 5 to 10% on okay. the decision to stay. Just finally, Steve, therefore, the first quarter, what did it tell us? Remember the start of it? Can you think back all that way and how things have right. settled down? I think there was uniform 
bullishness about the dollar, generally speaking. Mm. And to be honest, I was quite cautious about that because of this buy the rumor, sell the fact reaction to the Fed that, we can, that we've observed in the past. And we've observed it again in the first quarter. And I think it's been helped by some other factors that maybe the Fed has sounded a bit more dovish, perhaps again, than the market would have anticipated. And that has helped counterbalance some of the other facts, other things that have been going on. For instance, the Japanese moved to negative rates, uh, the ECB has, has eased policy. Those things might normally have caused those currencies to weaken, but yeah. they were overshadowed by what the Fed was doing. But I see that as a counter trend decline in the dollar or counter trend rally in the euro and the yen. Yeah. And I think as we go through the second quarter, slowly but surely, those trends will be reversed. There you have it. That's what the second quarter is going to look like, according to Stephen Barrett, Standard Bank. Thank you very much for coming in. Uh, Katie Martin will be your host next week. In the meantime, please keep up to date with all the Forex news and analysis on ft.com forward slash markets. Until the next edition of Hard Currency, it's goodbye. If you enjoyed listening to this podcast, you might like to try our FT News podcasts, which focus on one of the main issues of the day and bring you the insights and expertise of our global network of journalists, as well as outside contributors. You can download these at ft.com slash podcasts most days of the week. Here at Bellingcat, we get to the bottom of things. From a global crisis to an underreported event, we find the facts using publicly available tools and resources, uncovering what is hidden on and below the surface. We connect the dots using social media posts, satellite images, and public records, and empower others to do the same by sharing how we do it. The ability to do so is only made possible by our readers, supporters, and community members. Care to join us? Learn how at bellingcat.com.